0: Thank you for listening to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast. This is the second and final installment of our LUF Fireside Chat series, featuring retired FDNY Chief Jack Pritchard and Captain Tommy Gardner. Both individuals have worked in some of the busiest companies in the FDNY and served in the United States Navy prior to joining the department. This conversation affords seasoned leaders the opportunity to candidly reflect on leadership lessons and human performance principles resulting from the many wins and losses they've experienced. The host of this episode is LUF senior man Jim McNamara. If you haven't listened to part one, we strongly suggest you go back and listen to it as this conversation picks up from where we left off.
1: Okay, gentlemen, we'll now transition to your company commander roles. First off, what prompted you to study and become captains? Chief?
2: Well, when I got to uh, ladder 157, almost the whole firehouse was studying. And um, I was already a lieutenant eight years, and these guys really knew more than I did because I, I kind of forgot a lot of what the book said. and. Uh, and I said, you know, these guys—they're uh, really sharp. I'm going to get in a study group myself and and try to make sure that it, you know I know as much as they do, you know. And they—they they were all sharp. So we're at the kitchen table, and uh, you know, try to make it a little more competitive. We said, uh, I'll write higher and then all, all you guys who will write. And I haven't been in the books in eight years. <laughs> And I figured I could try to motivate them to try to beat me. I mean, that was my motivation thing, even when I was in the truck, that I'll be to the front door before you will. And then I had really good firefighters in, in, uh, in 157. I mean, great, motivated firefighters. And I try to motivate them a little more by, by always challenging them. And now they were now they they challenging me. You know, let's get this guy. Let's get this guy. And I said, "You get to the door, I'll be waiting for you." <laughs> and so uh, they said, "Oh yeah, we'll see." Every fire I went to, we never walked to a fire. We got off the rig, we got full gear, we're ready to go, hoods hoods on, and we didn't walk to the fire. We ran to the fire. Every every fire we went to, they weren't running to get to the fire. They were trying to beat me there. And I was I was waiting. The same thing with getting on the rig. I wanted to be on the rig before they did. And I would always start banging the door. You know, like, let's go, guys, you know. So... Uh, and they're all studying so i get in a study group with them and i i give them the challenge that you know we'll see who writes the highest
3: and we're talking um, we're talking about lieutenant to captain right You're yeah talking about yeah yeah, because, yeah 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 i know what put you over the hump when you were studying for captain what was that time when you went to the burn center remember that you were out for months oh, studying, what, yeah. studying yeah study that's right that's how you got <laughs> to the to the rank but, he was with me. But, me and you. Yeah. Go ahead. Share, share that incident. Put, um, out, put out a house on fire. Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. one. When you burnt your things. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: when you burnt your things. Yeah. yeah, Tommy and I were out of fire. I've,
3: I've got to tell you the story. Wait, storm. wait, wait. Tell them about getting promoted. First, uh, first. Right.
2: I'll take the fire first. <laughs> all right. So anyway, uh, the whole study The whole study group, everybody in the firehouse, we all get uh, passed the test and we, and we all get promoted. Uh, I was beat them all, you know, not choice, so uh they had to buy me dinner and uh, the whole the whole bit. but the motivation, the competition, and uh, I wanted at this point now i I wanted my own company. I wanted a company that everybody in a company thought like me and that that was my goal like in rescue two everybody in the company thought like the captain and if you didn't you were gone it was unbelievable what a company uh two was under captain uh gallagher so i wanted that and uh when i got promoted i wanted to go back to rogers avenue because uh i wanted to the spot opened in 255, and I'm saying, this is going to be my company. Everybody in this company is going to think like me. And if they don't, they'll leave. And I said, but, you know, they'll stay. 17 of them left. So uh, okay. <laughs> give or take. give or take, Yeah, give or take company. Uh, and every man, every firefighter that came in, they thought just the way I did. They all wanted to go to fires. We're not here to make friends. Uh, We could be friends after work. They wanted to be the best company on the job, and I wanted them to be the best company on the job. And in a very short time, after we got uh, everybody thinking on the same page, I believe they were the best company on the job, and they probably, uh, probably the best engine company on the job today the firefighters teaching each other as, as the new firemen came yep. in and the senior man one of them here now he was a uh, Mike Proby uh, 20 years ago and I talked to him outside and they still have the same attitude they're still the best
1: <laughs> excellent uh,
3: Cap your story uh, for getting promoted, to captain. Yeah, I was uh, after September 11th. I was studying for uh, for the captain's test. That was pushed back a year uh, because of what what was going on, what we were going through. Again, motivated by the fact that uh, I was I was doing this for my family. I need to be able to provide. Uh, these guys were they were growing a little bit, you know, anticipating uh, paying for college. It wasn't for any other reason than uh, for my family. Studying for the test, studying for was the hardest thing I ever did on this job. Uh, I'm not a student, so I just had to. Uh, I spent a lot of time. I got up early. I got up at two thirty in the morning. I studied till six o'clock. They woke up. That's my son there. I've, I'm very proud to say that my son is sitting here with me. Again, it was the hardest thing I ever did on this job. I wasn't really good. Like Jack was good with study groups, I wasn't good with a study group. So everything I did, I did by myself. And for each of you, when you got promoted, you, you bounced for a
2: while? Oh, yeah. Chief, did you bounce? Uh, I didn't bounce at all. Actually, I got promoted. Uh, 93 1993 and i went to the uh third division i think i only bounced for nine or ten months and 255 opened and i put in for it and i got it i only bounced for eight months i think cap you
1: ended up bouncing in a different division right? yes which kind of raises the issue historically guys in brooklyn stayed in brooklyn yes. guys in bronx and Harlem stayed in there and it's probably proper to explain this to folks outside of new york city the fdny is obviously one department but in reality it's several different fire departments each with their own little operational system Um, and how that came to be i guess is probably a a discussion we could we could have but where we are in Harlem and the bronx is very different from the way they are Brooklyn. so could you talk about after being a lifelong brooklyn guy um,
3: well, bounty. when I when I was promoted to lieutenant, I covered because I, I had the opportunity. I went far away. I went to the sixth division. I covered in Harlem in the Bronx. What I realized was that I had I loved the borough of Brooklyn. So, first opportunity, I had to go back. I did, and uh, one of the things that they say about the Bronx, it's a closed shop. You know, you get promoted from the Bronx, you go to Harlem. You get promoted from Harlem, you go to the Bronx. Well, I was up there, and I was nobody was looking out for chance, and I was having fun, but I didn't feel love. I went back. I went back from the Bronx. Surplus means really homeless <laughs> to UFO in engine 280. That was, and that was because somebody was looking out for me. And I said, well, that's what, that's what you do. You know, you look for your, you your, your bring your own in and if you're a stranger, go out and make your bones. That's, that's what that was about.
1: Sure. And, and you did have a, a stint in uh, the third division. I did. Could you, could
3: you share a little bit
1: about the good and the bad?
3: I will. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm a Captain. And, and I wanted to go, I didn't want to go to the 11th, you know, because I was, I, I was a lieutenant. Did I tell you I was a lieutenant at 111? So I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go close. I didn't want to go to the 8th Division, you know, Staten Island was too close. The, 8th, uh, the 11th Division was too close. I already went north to the Bronx and Harlem. So I said, let me see what's going on in Manhattan. That's even a different place. Manhattan is different. Manhattan is deference to the chief. You're asking, you're inside, you're dealing with the issues inside, and then you're calling outside and asking the chief what you should do. So I wanted to go back to where I was, where the chiefs in the street trusted the judgment and the, and the uh, decisions of the, of the guys inside. Like that's, that's what I know. But I'm poking around, actually my very first day as a captain, I was I was confrontational. I had a confrontation with somebody in Manhattan and they they didn't like me. So so I learned that I was an acquired taste. You weren't likable. <laughs> well, I told you you were a huge
1: influence on me. Uh, did you have any positive experiences in that third division? Yes. No.
3: Oh. <laughs> yes. You wanna know you wanna know what I I was covering Al Hagen spot in 43 truck. I love that place. Again, I had a problem. I was I was tagged. I was tagged as that Brooklyn butthole. Right? I go I'm going to do a vacation. Al Hagan's vacation a 43 truck. You don't know meets me at the door? Jimmy Lanza. The one and only. Yes. He meets me at the door. I'm carrying my bags and he meets me at the door and he says, "Cap, I don't care what up. I, I don't I don't care what happened out there. You're here. We're going to do whatever you want to do." And I like almost felt like crying. And I said, Jim, and and from that day, because Jimmy Lanza said I was okay, I was okay. And these guys drilled, I'll never forget them, 53 and 43, great place. Jimmy McEntee, friend, great place. So so you asked me, that was the best thing about uh, Manhattan for me.
1: And again, a note to Jimmy Lanza, uh, I had... He was a dear friend for many years. I worked with him for so long, uh, someone who we lost to nine eleven cancer. But Jimmy Lanza was the absolute epitome of what a senior yes. guy should be. Yes. Terrific. Cap, we're going to switch uh, again. You had the opportunity to be the plank owner and the very first captain of a newly created unit, Squad 8. What were some of the experiences like, and what did you learn in the process
3: of opening up a brand new company? First, does everybody know what a plank owner is? A plank owner. A plank owner is the first crew to commission a ship. It's a Navy term. First crew to commission a ship. Means when the ship is decommissioned, back when they were made of wood, the ship is decommissioned. Everybody gets a plank from the ship. So we, we, myself and Neil, and a bunch of other guys, uh, were plank owners, are plank owners of Squad E. I I was asked if I was interested, yes. I was involved in selection of everybody in the company. There was politics that I'd never had to deal with. There was the interview process. I had to interview, we had to interview 130 candidates. Who is going to come, who is going to be plank owners of this company? So the decision is, that was the, the thing that I was least comfortable with. That was the thing that I did not appreciate was to be the gatekeeper in somebody else's career path. That wasn't fun. Again, when I, when I retire in 111 and wake up, I'm going to say I did everything, everything that I could on this job
1: and it must be a great feeling though to be the very first one and to put yes. your, your stamp on that
3: Yes, just like the chief yes. put a stamp on 255 he didn't put the stamp on 255 Mark did <laughs> <laughs> no but the, the whole thing the whole thing is like I keep saying to people I keep saying to guys we're a new company we're three years plus and we're a new company and guys are saying "Nah, no, you're not a new company you're three years plus But the fact of the matter is, this this company, it's not a destination. There is no destination. We're a journey. And as long as you are, you remain uncomfortable, you're going to get better. You're going to get stronger. You're going to learn. You're going to learn every day, every day, something, as long as you stay curious, as long as you stay uncomfortable. But as soon as you get comfortable, as soon as you get complacent, your company is going to settle in. You never want to be, like, just like Jack said, you never want to be comfortable. You never want to settle in. You want to challenge yourself every day. Every day.
1: Terrific, Cap. Thank you for sharing that. We turn out to uh, to Chief, Chief Pritchard. In the Chief's rank, you spent a tremendous amount of time in the 4-1, uh, which is Flatbush, Brooklyn, one of the busiest fire battalions in the city. What was your command and control philosophy as a battalion chief?
2: I was lucky enough to to go to the 4-1 where um, most chiefs don't have to do much at a fire. Uh, the 4-1 uh, companies, they're all self-motivated. You go to a fire, there's almost nothing you have to do. They're, they're that good. My job was just to keep them uh as sharp as, as I could possibly do by having the drills and the competition between companies. Uh, it made that battalion uh, probably the fastest responding battalion in, in the city. Uh, being the captain of 255 and 157 and then becoming the commander of the 4-1, it was a little awkward uh, because I was in a firehouse that hated us on Rogers Avenue, you know, because then when I was the captain there, we were beating the pants off them, and and now I'm the commander of the battalion, and the captains are coming to me complaining about Rogers Avenue beating them into the boxes. I said, "You're preaching to the choir." I mean, well, we, my advice to all the companies in the battalion is to turn out faster. And uh, I was in the the quarters with 248, and I used to tell them in the kitchen, if 255 did to me what they're doing to you, I would go down and park in front of their firehouse. (laughs) And every run that they got, I would beat them into. But you, you just want to come up here and complain to me. Well, don't complain to me. I, I don't really want to hear it. I'm in this firehouse. I know how fast you turn out. And I know how fast they turn out. They're not turning <laughs> out to be you. They're turning out there to get to the fire to help the people. They don't care if you're in quarters or you're not in quarters. They don't care if you're at drill.
3: They turn out the same way. Bro, that's a great point because culturally, when I got there as a probie, I was told, day one. If you're not on the rig, we're going to leave you. So that's the turnout. And and that firehouse was geographically, it was like perfect. A perfect place to be. North, south, east, west. like the, That intersection, it screamed for a quick turnout.
2: Fast uh, turnout. Fast turnout. And I say that they, they weren't turning out to, to beat other companies. That they were turning out to get to help the people as fast as, as they could. Uh, when I got there, you know, I, I told the firefighters that we have to be the best at something. You guys, all firefighters are great firefighters. We go to a fire, these guys in a four-one, they're all gonna put the fire out. So we have to be good at something even better than putting out the fires. And it's getting to the fires. My guys were all on board. They told Tommy, when Tommy first got there, they, that was before I was the captain, you're either on the rig or we leave you. They never left them. I said you're either on the rig or we leave you. I left them. I <laughs> uh, only had to do it a couple of times. I had to get the, uh, the chauffeurs on board. Chauffeurs are not going to leave their men. No matter what i said i'm the captain i say go they said no i said okay here's the deal i'm not on a rick leave me are you okay with that they said fine we'll do that they left me
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, i left a couple of guys everybody's on board they're jumping on uh, the truck you know trying to get there because truck always comes out after us I didn't think I was going to tell this story, but I guess I will. So they know I don't sleep all night because I'm always afraid they're going to leave me. I stay up all night. Uh, First one on the rig, out the door. We're out the door in 20 seconds. I'm telling you, these guys are scary fast. So one night they say, you know, he left somebody. Let's get him. So they said, "You um, you know, we're playing with fire now. So they said, okay. Five o'clock in the morning, they roll on a rig. They open the doors. They send the guy across the street to pull the box.
3: <laughs> no way.
2: Yeah. No way. <laughs> they send the guy across the street to pull the box. He pulls the box. It goes beep. I go like this. I hear the truck go out the door. I, said, I don't believe they did that. So now they're going around, and I'm waiting in the firehouse, and they're telling the chauffeur, he's going to kill you when you get back, right? So anyway, they go around, they back in, he comes over, and I said, hey, that was good. I went off the bat. So, uh, well played. Yeah, that was it. I said, hi, you got me. You know, that will never happen again, sure. right? You know? So, uh So they had the distinction that the captain said that you know to leave and we left them but uh it it was a controlled leave you know it wasn't like they were going to go to a fire they staged uh, the whole thing we'll shift gears again now this past september
1: was the 20th anniversary of that uh, september morning could each of you tell the story of where you were and what you were doing
2: that day well you know, it's ironic that we we're, we're both together. here. We're both here today. We were together that morning. Tommy was getting me in shape, so we were uh, we're at Cove Lakes Park, and we were jogging. My daughter called me on the phone. And said, uh, "Dad, uh, plane just hit the uh, the World Trade Center," and they think wait, it wait, wait,
3: wait. crazy. Crazy thing. We're gonna meet. Tuesday morning, and we're gonna meet at nine o'clock in Clove Lakes. And both of us converged on Clove Lakes at nine o'clock, and neither one of us had the radio on. Neither one of us were aware of what happened. And we did all walk, and we hear rigs going crazy. We get back in the car, I don't know if that's when you know that's when Lori called you, but but immediately when we got home, we knew exactly that we were going to get back together again. like this day was going to start. Our actions were going to start together. So we got the call and uh,
2: and getting back to uh, Navy military. On the radio, it said, all firefighters, uh, we have a recall. Report to your company. Tommy and I never gave a thought to go anywhere else. You know, we were given an order, report to your company. Both being military guys,
3: we followed those orders. I had no company at the time. I was covering. I was covering in Ladder 132 until September 10th. I was home with my gear, and... Yeah, so off we go.
2: Tommy's going to report to... Uh, the 4-1. The 4-1. And then they had a, a, a recall uh, destination. we're going to the 15th Division. Yeah. So hadn't we had a military response uh, uh, or uh, background... We probably would have also went right to the World Trade Center, you know, like most of the other firefighters did. Um, But we followed orders. Had not, we had the military um, service under our belts and we found that out at eight o'clock, we probably would have got killed. We found that at nine o'clock and the tower's already down. But we went right to where we were supposed to go. I get to the 4 1, the battalion commander, he's being wishy washy about, you know, somebody has to work here today. And I'm saying, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, somebody has. To, so I said, hey, <laughs> Bobby, you're the freaking commander. Stop making some orders. Somebody got to work here. Make him work here," he said. "Okay, you work here," I said. "Not me." <laughs> <laughs> so, so he orders me to work, and that really pissed me off. So, uh, the full Woman was already at the uh, World Trade Center. So we had a we activated another uh, battalion car, and in the different firehouses, in one firehouse I had the Pride of Elizabeth. Uh, company from Elizabeth, New Jersey, and I said, "This is this is amazing that you know that almost all our resources are uh, are at the World Trade Center." Yeah.
3: So, okay. Okay. So so now Jack has got the uh, the four one battalion. He is in charge of the four one battalion. I go to the fifteenth division with Bob Maines, who is the chief. He's a battalion commander in the four one. We're shaping up there. Everybody that had reported is now gonna get on a bus and go. You're gonna get an assignment at, at the division. You're gonna get on a bus. You're gonna go to the Trade Center. So I got my six guys. I got uh, Chief Mains is is my boss. I grab my guys like this, and I say, all right, this is the deal. You're with me, and we're with him. Done. We get there, we get off the bus, we start walking south on West Street. We get the chambers right underneath the bridge by Stuyvesant. Chief says, everybody go back, go back, go back to Manhattan Community College, the secondary command post. And we went back because we were following orders. Nobody was given uh, anything contrary. So we all go back to Manhattan Community College. and there is a secondary command post and there's a couple of chiefs there and they're fielding communications. And I find a phone, I call my friend, his wife says, Mike's working. Mike worked, Mike Quilty, my best friend, died on that day in ladder 11. Now I'm making it my mission to find Mike with my team. We're trying to get south, but we're not going south because The command post is not letting anybody go south. I went up to the chief and I said, Chief, the chief is asking questions on the radio. I said, Chief, at this time, nobody wants to answer any questions. You should just tell them that we're coming. And the guy said to me, son, you're going to be okay. And I said, at that point, at that moment, instantly I decided that the chain of command has broken. And now I was going to go find the guys that are working. I, I get all my guys, I get them displaced with groups that were gonna, that they were gonna uh, stay with and I went south. And you know who I found when I got to south, I got to west and I saw all the guys from 157. I saw all the guys from 255 were working. They were working south and we were struggling to try to get there. The chain of command was broken. The guys that were working were work. The guys that were bosses were leading. They weren't. It was irrespective of their rank. They were firemen, but they were leaders. Leaders led, and if you weren't leading, you were following. But you were doing something, and that's what we did. That's what we did for days and weeks that followed, until you know order set
1: in more order thank you both for sharing that and i'll share mine it just to uh that morning i was coming back from vacation i was planning to get out on my bicycle and ride the whole afternoon so i'm laying in bed and you think of the world back then you didn't have a smartphone next to your bed the answering machine kicks in and uh it's my wife and she's absolutely screaming, you know, blood curdling screams. Uh, she saw the second plane hit the second building, tracked it all the way in. I mean, screaming like you can't believe, right. Right. you know, um, and then I turned the television on and I'm like, you know, you know, you put the picture together and I always took the bike to work. And for me, I had to Go over two bridges, the East Sunnyside train yard and 59th uh, Street Bridge. And a picture that just beyond comprehension of a never-ending wall of people. It was impossible to ride. It was impossible to walk two consecutive steps. It took forever. But you can't imagine, again, the trains are down. There's no, there's no car traffic. And then you get to the other side and I'm pedaling north up First Avenue and there's nobody. There's not a soul and we're the central roundup location in Harlem because of our you know centralized location and we have a wide street and I worked with Charlie Roberto uh, for 20 years you know the man did 40 years in his job and strangely enough no one, no one worked with him longer than I did for all his medals and all his accomplishments um, that was his finest hour he took all the bosses we must add 150 200 guys there Took them all upstairs. The bosses created teams of like a boss and seven or eight guys. We wrote our social security numbers on our arms, both arms, you know, in case, you know, we went later. And uh, like you said, the initial thought from the job was, you know, we know we don't know what's going on. We can't lose any more. Billy Dunahue, who's the senior guy, was having none of that. We I don't know how we got a bus. I don't know if we threw the people off. I don't I don't really remember that, but I do remember showing up there. And the first two things I, I that came to my mind without even thinking was one, there is no God. You know how could a God that is loving and benevolent allow, allow this to happen? And two is like how we're never going to get this shit out of here. You know. And and the first day progressed. And then I remember like an army of uh, you know iron workers, instruction guys showing up. Like, we were really on wounded knee. And, like, uh, you know, in that moment, it was, uh, you know, it was an array of real men who showed up. You know, not these fucking nitwits in, in suits. You know, and, uh, you know, they came to work. And uh, throughout this whole thing, one thing we never, we never gave the iron workers the credit they deserved. You know. Um, that's a that's an historic mistake that's more to do with you know the, the the union situation but what they did you know to cut all that stuff away to allow us to get into where we had to go um, and then i just remember like the that night the smell of you know fucking jet fuel and guys jumping into to voids and i'm like holy shit we're gonna lose more uh but uh, it really was, uh, it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It would be yesterday for as long as we
2: live. So You said that about the voids. Uh, when I finally got down there uh, 24 hours later, I'm working on a pile, and I'm watching firefighters go in 18-inch holes with a rope tied around their waist, 30 feet, yeah. uh, disappearing in like saying, and when they came out, the thing I was looking at was, I looked at their helmets. It was 86 truck, okay. Staten Island truck. Uh, every firefighter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah uh, When you hear the
2: phrase, you know some gave all. Yeah, if their finest hour for the rescuers, Uh, no matter what company, slow, busy, they were every every firefighter did an unbelievable heroic job. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's uh. There's an importance though in, in like telling these stories, you know. Like even in our job, not just for us, but to to tell this to, to other guys when they deal with things to learn from what we did. It kind of segues into another question. Like we deal with this absolute insanity. What did it say about us? You know, you, you gave your perspective. They rose to the occasion, right? We had a situation. Uh, you talk about cu- courage and, and good men. Uh, in 26 trucks, Steve Baselli made a grab earlier that morning. Terrific rescue. And a few hours later, it meant nothing. Six months later, Tom Galvin shows up. He's a deputy. He says, "Steve, you know, brings the whole company." I says, "Look, you know, we've been busy. Because I want to make sure I acknowledge what you did." And even through the fucking chaos, and he almost died that morning. They sent him around the back only through the grace of God the he did. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it speaks volumes. And what it says about performance, I'd like to know not just the day, but the months and weeks and the years after. What does it say about us and how we performed as human beings living through this, burying all these guys, sometimes two or three times? Like, what's your take on on how we performed in the months and years afterwards well
2: for myself i know i and probably almost all firefighters uh there were days uh we went to three funerals
1: there was a saturday in october there were 21 funerals on a single day we get you you split like you did half your your 24 down there you did half your 24 in the firehouse right the the guy still worked yeah they still did the job
2: no they were amazing on 9-11 and until the last 9-11 firefighter was buried <laughs> i know the band uh i know a lot of guys in the, in the band they were splitting up and you know sending as many as they could to get to they did not miss one funeral we'll put that aspect to bed and, and we'll finish with this right each of you could
1: have retired in the immediate aftermath of of that september morning what made you choose to stay
2: it was. It, it was never a thought about retiring. I retired uh, eight, nine years later, and I'll tell you the truth. I'd still be working if uh, if they'd let me. This job is not a, not a job. Go to work, uh, doing what you love best, being with the guys you love best. I think what makes this job so good is. There's not a division between a battalion chief and a firefighter. The love is still the same. It's something they can't take away from our occupation. It's harder to be, as you go up the ranks, of course, it's, it's harder. You know, uh, as a firefighter, you think about yourself. As a lieutenant, you think about your five men. I mean you still have tunnel vision you go to a fire and you you know your job is to put that room out as a firefighter your job is to stay alive and go find that person so you you're taking care of one person as a lieutenant you're taking care of five as a captain you're responsible for 30. but when you go to a fire you're you have five as a battalion chief you have the responsibility of everybody at the fire. It is probably the the biggest transition that you're gonna make on a fire department. The way you know that these guys are safe is that you make sure they're trained. So, you know, me as the commander, it was easier in my battalion because these guys were all motivated. The engine Every man in 255 engine, and hopefully in all the other engines, can operate the pumps. Uh, They don't have to go to school. They're taught in the firehouse. Self-motivation is when you come by and you're going to hold a drill, and they're already drilling blacked-out face pieces stretching into the basement, And the officer's doing paperwork. He doesn't even know they're doing it because they're motivated. They're so motivated. If a firefighter in the 401 is falling behind, he's not keeping up with the rest of the guys. We don't get rid of them. He's our problem. We take care of that. They say, this guy's a piece of shit. What's your job to make sure he isn't? We don't give our problems away in, in the four one. We don't give our problems away in in two fifty five, one fifty seven, or one forty seven. If a guy's falling behind, pick him up, make him a firefighter. So battalion chief rank is 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 the hardest rank on the on the fire department. It's also the best rank on the fire department because you could see your product in action. So excellent and cap the question to you you had the
1: opportunity to retire then what prompted you to stay
3: the fact that that 343 uh firefighters died on that day and you know the hundreds who have gotten sick i've said this i said i used to teach education day i'd said you know that it's uh, I, I made it my responsibility. I made it my responsibility to be a, a custodian, a custodian of the spirit of this job. I, you know, old school is not dead. I, I took it upon myself to beat that drum, you know, and everybody that I work with in close proximity, knows that everybody that I I've had an opportunity to give a tactical drill that's one of the things that one of the greatest things that I've done on this job is to become a tactical instructor I have I learned I learned how to give a drill I got better given a drill I got uh, I got an opportunity to, to get a, a, a bigger platform and I took it and I advocate for anybody to take that that opportunity to to learn to teach to you know you get better when you share that you get better so so that's why I stuck around because I am a custodian of the spirit of this job terrific terrific but for
1: you Cap the end of the road is is within sight like, 11 111 in wake up <laughs> like what does it feel like when to know that you know that the end of this
3: glorious
1: ride is
3: about to end? uh well 38's not a token gesture right I watched him I watched him 40 plus you know'm I'm, I'm ready. I'm a little banged up, you know, I, I'm telling these guys, I've, I've lost a step, you know, I'm getting a little crabby. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I recognize, I recognize it's time. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in my kick. I'm not kicking like I used to kick when I was a young man. But I'm in my kick, I'm going to finish kicking.
1: It's got to feel great, though, that you look at where you've worked, that your body of work, that your, the back of your baseball card, we might say, is beyond impressive. That has to be
3: uh, well, you some know consolation. What? You know what, Joe, I appreciate you saying that. But I also know that my story is still being written. You know, I could make a catastrophic uh error in in decision tactical I could put one of my guys in a in a in a bad place because of my lack of judgment and I mean that that could happen which is why I am hyper aware and which is why I am going to be constant hyper vigilant I am going to make sure that my guys know that this is not a destination everything that we're doing is not a destination it's a journey. It's a journey. As has his life, right? Right, everything. Yes. Yeah. You know? Uh, Jack gave me a lot to work with. Well,
2: let me just interject here because, you know, the way he's, he's going to make me cry here. Uh, so I have a fire with Tom. Uh, I'm a lieutenant. And it's time to tell a couple of stories. <laughs> and... Uh, so we, we get in with first truck. The engine's not in. We got three or four rooms of fire. We open the door. and The fire's to the right. Tommy's got the can. I say, hey, Tommy, you hold it with the can. We're gonna we're gonna go make a search. You tell us if you can't hold, so we can get out. So we go in and make a left. We're going into the search the building. Turn around, and there's a fireman silhouette of a fireman surrounded by fire. (laughs) I mean, completely engulfed in fire. We get there, and we get to him. Let's go. Out we go. We go down in the street. The plastic tip is (laughs) melted off the can, and his eye shields are melted to the top of his helmet. And I said... I told you to call me if you couldn't have it. He said, no, I, ha- I had it. I said, are you kidding me? I had it. We had to wet him down. With, you couldn't touch him. And I said, Tommy, you should have called me. No, I had it.
3: That's the best you ever told that story. <laughs> that, that now, that the whole the whole idea was, if I could maintain that position, Everybody else could do what they had to do. Right, I maintained that position, but you didn't. If I was like
2: four feet behind, you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a it was a cool that that day. Tom and I bonded. Uh, I was then, trying to make an impression. Yeah, you no, know, he he really impressed me, and. Uh, and another time... Wait a second, wait a second. One more story, one more story. You're killing me. So we go to a fire, and, and, um, and I tell to the guys, you know, stay with me, we're an extra truck. Stay with me, <laughs> nobody move. When I get off... I tell this story much better than you. When I get off, I want you guys with me. So we go up to the front of the fire building... And the chief thinks we're the squad or something. He says, take a line. I said, well, come on, Tom, let's go. <laughs> hey, guys. There's nobody there to help me and Tom. They all went and did their truck shit. So anyway, we go into the building, and there's a line laying on the ground. There's a report of three people missing, mother, father, and child. are uh, are uh, supposed to be in the, in the fire. That's the time to get the line. Let's go. So we're going up the stairs. The house pet dog is dead on the stairs. We said, well, "There's a good chance we got people up here. Tom, we've got to make the move. You got it. You got it. So in we go. So we're in like a, a room and a half of fire. And I said, are you going to open the nozzle?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm already bounced. <laughs> Uh, that's the job <laughs> he went to the burn center. Yeah, that w- oh, we both go That's to- where he got promoted to captain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we make this push. You know, everybody bailed. We make the push. We do the search, the whole amazing, amazing fire. Tommy on that line, unbelievable. I mean, everybody bailed. There was nobody in the building except for me and Tom. And uh, we kicked ass. We did.
1: So that is a terrific story and a great way to end. Gentlemen, I want to thank both of you thank for this you. experience. Yeah. Chief, it's the first time I've met you and uh, absolute pleasure. Hey. I-, I would work for you any day.
2: Okay, thank you. <laughs>